0: From just south of Los Angeles, California. This is the Veggie Power Podcast, exploring topics relating to working out, powerlifting, and everyday advice for lifting and living well. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Contorno. All right, let's veg out. What the fuck is up, y'all? I'm back. Episode numero cinco, Veggie Power Podcast. I do admit, I wanted to record this podcast like three or four times over the past three weeks, maybe two weeks, and it just hasn't happened because I told myself when I started this little podcasting journey that this podcast was going to be specifically something that I do for fun, that is a creative outlet that I enjoy. And if I give myself these gnarly deadlines, because I wanted to have a posting schedule or dropping schedule, whatever you call it in podcast world, uh, you know, like every other Tuesday or Thursday or what the fuck. But I just found that having that little pressure kind of turned this into not so fun. And I really want this to be just for fun and not something that I have to do. So I was rebelling against myself, I guess. And it was Thanksgiving. So... That shit got in the way. But here I am. I, again, want to say thank all of you, as always, for continuously posting, resharing, re listening. I've gotten some messages saying, like, oh yeah, I went back and re listened to you know, episode number blah, blah. And, like, that's fucking awesome. Like, I don't usually re listen to podcasts. Maybe there's two or three ever I can recall that I felt so, you know, drawn to re listen. So I know that is very powerful and meaningful also to me. So thank you for that. So it is the holiday season. Steven and I both are kind of like orphans, which, I mean, we have family, but we're not super close with our families. And we had an orphan Thanksgiving at our friend Eddie's house, which was fucking cool, and historically for Christmas, we've kind of gone out of town and we kind of like that tradition. We got engaged our first Christmas together. We got married our second Christmas together. And this is our fourth. So there was one where we didn't do anything. But this year we are going to Hawaii. Uh-uh, Hawaii. Oh yeah, Hawaii. We're leaving in like three motherfucking days. Can you tell I'm excited? We are going for... Bur- eight days. Now, this is our first vacation since our wedding, which will be our two-year anniversary this New Year's Eve, that we've actually gone somewhere, just him and I, for the purpose of getting the fuck away and going on vacation. Um, Everywhere we've traveled for the past two ish years has been, you know, for the purpose of we're going to a wedding or it's uh, a meet or something like that, a competition. And then we kind of like dovetail a couple days on the end or on the beginning to kind of get something out of it. But that is like, It's not as enjoyable as like, okay, we're getting away. And also since I started coaching basically full time, I've never taken a motherfucking day off. I work seven days a week and I'm okay with that because that's the lifestyle I've chosen. But for the first time, I'm letting all my veggie babies go to the garden on their own. Hopefully they don't get eaten and they come out alive. No, they'll be fine. I do have a couple people in me prep that are kind of freaking out and hate me right now, but they'll get over it and they're still going to do bomb but I will be there for your meat, okay, my babies? Don't you fucking worry. The topic at hand. Well, is there anything of interest that I want to talk about? Um, I don't know. The powerlifting community. I guess I can talk about record breakers a little bit. Uh, Don't hate me, especially if you competed in it. I have a client who competed in it, but they're not doing it anymore anymore. And I guess there's a reason why, because the fucking judging standards were shit. What makes me upset about record breakers or some other affiliate or affiliations lifting standards is there were multiple, and I mean multiple world records that were broken at that meet. And... The standard and criteria of judging that was based upon those records being broken, in my opinion, was not up to the par or standard of other affiliations. For example, I compete mostly in the USPA. I goddamn well know... When I break a record in the USPA or if anyone breaks a record in the USPA, it is motherfucking earned because like, you know, I've had people like, oh my God, they're just calling red lights on all the fucking squats. And I'm like, yeah, because all the motherfucking squats aren't breaking parallel. Like there's no such thing as you almost had it. You were right there. Oh my God. What the fuck? You either did it or you didn't. And there's, you know, three people, six, nine, eight, how many eyes? Lots of eyes. (laughs) Six eyes looking at you and watching to make sure you're hitting those, you know, elements of technique standards that make or break, you know, give you white or reds. And I don't felt like the caliber of, you know, standardization that I would qualify a world record to be broken by was met. That's where I'm stopping. Uh, As far as what your girl is doing... I'm in my off-season. I am all fatty, all natty. For like eight weeks now, I've been all natural and I'm fucking feeling it. Let me tell you, like when I was uh, in prep and I was on gear and uh, I was like never sore. I could just go from the gym and go right back in and be okay. And right now I feel like I'm 90 and although my strength is pretty, is doing pretty well. Right now, my uh, next eye on the prize is the Ironmongers Pro Meet. It is February 22nd in Oceanside, California. There is a cash payout on the pro day, and I'm doing it natty, and I'm doing it non-peaked, which I will get into the whole non-peaking conjugate thing further into this podcast. But my goal is to win in the 165-pound weight class, all natural, without peaking. It's kind of lofty, but we'll see how it happens. Uh, I'm already stalking my competition, which, as you all know, it's how I motivate myself, so girls, get ready. Um, I'm kind of doing it as a preparation for myself to compete in wraps because the Sisterhood of Strength meet that is in New York in uh, May 30th at Mount Vernon Barbell that I'm competing in. I am competing in wraps. So I'm doing this to kind of test my wrap strength and to give myself some more time um, squatting heavy in wraps before, because as soon as that meets over is when I actually start my real prep that I will be hopping back on the trend train. Just kidding. I would never do trend, but y'all know what I'm saying. So that's what's new, and uh, I will tell you guys all about Hawaii in my next podcast, which I I don't know what I'm doing for that. So send me some ideas for those of you. I think there's like 12 of you now that listen. We've gone up from four to 12. Uh, What do you want me to talk about? Maybe I'll think of something or maybe you guys can give me an idea because right now I really don't know what I want to do next. So today's podcast episode is about, I'm going to kind of cover two broad topics of coaching styles and coaching and conjugate versus linear training. What are some of the differences? What the fuck do either of those things mean? And how can you apply or employ them to your own training? So first I'm going to get into coaching styles and coaching. Biggest question, do I need a coach? No. Not everyone needs a coach. So I coach lifters personally who are powerlifters, also people who are just general gym goers and but people who want to focus on squat, bench and deadlift. If your goals and aspirations are just being a regular gym goer, you know, having a coach or someone could be beneficial to help you. Maybe you can get with someone to help you with your form. But per se, having someone to coach you through you know, the succession of lifting and growing yourself as a lifter, I personally don't see the need for that if those aren't your goals. Now, if you're a power lifter, that kind of adds a little layer there where maybe a coach would be beneficial to you. But, like I said, not everyone needs one. I was a template lifter for a long time through my entire bodybuilding career. Bodybuilding.com literally got me stage ready. I only had a posing coach, I didn't have a training coach, which is probably why I was never a good bodybuilder. But, you know, templates can be super beneficial, especially if you're just starting. Like, you don't have to have perfect form from day one. Would it be ideal? Yes, but if you're just learning and experiencing the gym and you don't know what a lat pull down is, what a chest supported row is, you know, tricep extension variations, french press versus the rope versus the d handle, like all of that can be completely overwhelming and depending on what your coach programs, like you might be spending more time googling what the fuck you're trying to do than actually performing the movements, which I might be speaking to some of my lifters because I program some weird shit. But for example, bodybuilding.com, when I used to do it, it was free. Now I believe it's $14.99 per month. Sorry, ladies and gents, no promo code here, but it has these trainers per se where you can pick your ideal conditions, Where there you want to lose weight, gain muscle, maintenance, cardio, whatever. You kind of pick your category. You pick your length that you want your program to be. I believe the shortest maybe is four weeks, and then it goes up to like 22 or 28 weeks even. And then you can pick your level of experience, novice, intermediate, advanced, beginner, expert, blah, blah, blah. I used to do all the dude ones, like, biggest man on campus, get swole, bro, swole brothers. I don't know, I'm making some of those up, but I did do all the dude ones. Um, But a lot of them have video resources. So every single exercise that's listed, it has a hyperlink that you can click and watch a video of the performance of that exercise. So it takes out a layer of complexity for you. You can link it to your like Google calendar and it can tell you like what days you're doing what when. Um, If you're going to explore bodybuilding.com, my personal favorite was Chris Gethin's uh, DTP program. Uh, I want to say, so I was bodybuilding. I was, I did not have good form. I really didn't know what I was doing as far as like squat, bench, deadlift, but I fucking squatted like two plates on that program. And at that time that was like amazing, but I really did get my strongest, uh, using that program and it was really fun, but my joints hurt at the end because it's like all drop sets all the time. So that is definitely an avenue to explore. And it's super cost effective. Like I said, that right now is only $14.99. There's tons of powerlifting programs out there that are free, that are templates, and it can get you, you know, towards your goals. But there is a natural limit on templates. Templates don't take into account individual variation, sometimes injuries or physical limitations or even equipment limitations that you may or may not have at your gym of choice. So if you, you know, want to compete, if you want to enhance your lifting to a point where you are improving your mechanics and technique which will also help you improve your strength, then a coach could be very beneficial, especially a coach that has you know additional certifications or experience that can help you in your sport of choice. Not every coach is for powerlifting. There's definitely bodybuilding coaches and gurus and all that bullshit. So I'm gonna kind of talk more from the powerlifting perspective because the whole bodybuilding coach thing is like a slippery slope, different avenue. Bodybuilding, I'll tell y'all, if you powerlifters do not know, think of whatever you're doing now, monetary, and multiply that by two to five. (laughs) And that's the price you're going to have to pay. And honestly, bodybuilders don't complain about it. Powerlifters, it's like, oh, 50 fucking bucks. Damn, that's too much. Like, Listen, my husband pays over $200 a month for his coach, and they check in like once every three weeks. So my husband's also trying to become a pro bodybuilder and his coach is a pro coach. So it's like you're paying for the product that you're receiving. So... With that being said, um, let's talk a little bit about powerlifting coaching or other styles of coaches. I personally, although I am highly educated, I have my degree, my education, and also my performance to back up myself as a coach, I personally don't believe or feel that someone needs to have all these layers of certifications to be a good coach. I believe that coaching is... You also don't have to be strong to be a good coach, nor if you are strong, that doesn't make you a good coach. Teaching people what to do with their bodies is a skill. Sometimes it's very hard to say, this is what I see in my mind and now I'm going to explain to you how to do it. It they should teach a class on it because it does not come easy. So, I don't really feel like, "Oh, I have my bachelor's in exercise science and I also have my personal training certificate from pt.com and I did a 6-week course with with an open book test on how to learn how to, you know, determine your flexibility and extensibility and also a weekend seminar on a, you know, functional exercise stretching." So, I think, what the fuck ever. If you want someone who has layers of credentials, then fine. But I also think results speak for themselves. Uh, You know, ask people, like, what are some of your other clients? Or interview them. Find somebody that you want to be your coach. You're employing them interview them. Ask them questions about why they would be a good fit for you, what you feel like they can do for you, and how they are going to help you accomplish your goals. A lot of people feel this uh, weird power dynamic and struggle with a coach that they are hiring, maybe because they have you know, a high Instagram following. They feel that that qualifies them to be this you know, professional person that they can't relate to on a person to person basis. But let me tell you, Instagram likes and follows also don't equate to good coaching. With that being said, I'm going to kind of parlay into my next tangent about really make sure you examine and ask the questions correctly about what kind of coach you're getting. A lot of coaches, and I'm saying this with air quotes, even though you can't see it, don't necessarily do the coaching. Um, they send out mass templates to all of their clients. You, typically, it's through an app. So if your coach is coaching you through an app, you may be getting the same program as anywhere from five to 500 people because all they have to do is like click one button and distribute All of the templates to all of the people. And uh, I'm not saying that every person that does that is, you know, performing those activities, but I would ask, you know, am I on a template? Am I having a shared program as other people? Now, if they say yes and you're okay with that, that can be a great situation. Maybe you and 50 other people are doing the same motherfucking thing, but your coach is watching you doing the lifts and critiquing your form and changing the things that need to be changed within you. So it's kind of template training with the additional bonus of getting form checks, right? That could still be a good situation. But if you don't realize you're sharing a program as you know X amount of other people, then that's when it's not okay. I say this story because I do know personally um, some of my clients who had coaches were in this situation but they were not told that they were getting the same program as several other people. So if if that's the you know understood shared knowledge base and you your coach is open with you about that then that's totally okay. But if you don't and you think you're getting a program just for you, that's not okay. That's when you fire your coach. I'll get into how do you do that. Uh, another coaching kind of thing to watch out for or to ask or to question, um, which I personally wouldn't question this. I would just not want to be in this kind of situation if you're hiring a coach and they have a team where you are not, you're, you know, paying for, you came to the table because of person A who seems like someone you want to coach them, but they're like, oh, you're being coached by my team and I just oversee it. Well, I'm paying for you, not for your team because how do I really know how much you're overseeing? Because obviously, if you don't have the time to coach just me and you have to have your team do it, then you're farming out your actual business. So... You know, I would want to know or talk to who's the person who's actually coaching me on your team and, you know, not the person who I signed up for. That would not be a situation that I would be in, you know, pot committed to. Lastly is, uh, there's like group training or in-person training. Like you have a coach who maybe has a team of people and you guys all train together and it's in a group setting and you guys are all performing the same kind of movements. I think that can be great. It can build team camaraderie. It can be, you know, on the spot training and corrections with your coach there. Now, usually the downfall of this is that you don't necessarily get a program or plan that you can do on your own. You're kind of following the group mentality and doing what the group does when the group lifts. But having a coach in person is obviously always ideal. I have a large percentage of my lifters that train out of my gym. And unless I'm like totally in prep, like please don't bother me, I really need to fuck shit up tonight. I usually watch each and every one of them I side-eye them and give them on-the-spot corrections and things because three-dimensional is always better than watching a video. You cannot see certain things just by watching a video. And also, it's really hard to teach certain things unless you can touch someone. Some things don't just translate well without saying, oh, activate this muscle, and then you touch it, and then they're like, oh, I didn't know I even had that one, and it's like, yeah. So those are kind of all of the different Realms. Oh, there's one more. The stealing coach. Uh, I've actually been accused of doing this, which totally hurt my feelings of stealing someone else's programming and distributing it. Um, I have better ethical and moral standards than that. I will admit, I was in the DCS pack, and the format of Excel spreadsheet that I use is the same format of Excel spreadsheet that I was receiving, whereas it has columns that are broken down and I use the same structure of the columns. But by no means do I use someone else's programming and claim it to be mine. Um, I have, there's been, I think it was more in the bodybuilding world that this happens more, but people like buying an online program or getting a program from someone and then farming it out to their own clients Uh, So they're like doing half of the work, they're doing the coaching part, but not actually doing the programming part. So that sucks. And that can happen. And I've seen it. But that is what it is. So that's kind of all the different structures of coaching. So why is a coach beneficial? Or what kind of coach can be beneficial? I think coaching is like dating, finding a coach is like dating. Same thing with like finding a medical doctor. Like people are so afraid like, Oh, my doctor fucking sucks, but he's my doctor and he has that MD after his name. And like, you can fucking break up with these people. Like you are their employer. Like all of my athletes, I am their bitch kind of like they are my employers and I am their employee. And I work hard because they're paying my bills. Basically they're paying my monthly salary, you know, person by person. And, if you're not vibing with that coach or if you feel like in the beginning they were great, but now you've kind of, maybe you've outgrown their skill set, because there's definitely coaches that are really good, like for beginner athletes. And, you know, maybe you want to go start training in wraps and your coach is like, I've never trained in wraps. I have no idea. Maybe it's time to find a more experienced coach or a coach that could train you in wraps. I wouldn't take on a client that trains in gear because I have no experience with powerlifting gear. If you don't know what gear is, it's like multiply outfits, like wearing a fire hose of stretch, non-stretchy fabric material that allow you to strap your body together and lift more weights. (laughs) Um, I am not experienced with that, nor would I know how to program someone for that. I've actually turned a few people down that are gear lifter, and I've referred them out to other coaches who know how to do that sort of thing. So if you don't feel like they are at your skill level, if, you know, you're just not jiving with them, if they're not meeting your expectations that they said that they would deliver on when you first, you know, were communicating, then it's time to break up. And you shouldn't feel afraid to tell someone that you're paying to do their motherfucking job. Like, hey, this isn't quite working. I appreciate everything you've done for me, but at this point I would like to, you know, date someone else. And that should be okay. If a, if your coach is a good and decent person, they will understand. I've lost a lot of clients and it sucks sometimes because there's some people that don't want to seek go. And there's a million reasons why people want to go. It could be those reasons. It could be my fucking car broke down. It could be that I'm moving. It could be you know, life happens and things happen and you shouldn't feel bad, guilty, or scared to tell the person that you're paying money to that this isn't working, right? So what can a coach be good for? People usually think that they need a coach to peak them for a powerlifting meet And that only, and that is like my biggest fucking pet peeve. So I've said this like a bazillion times on talks and walks, and I'm going to say it here again so that it's cemented forever. And if anybody asks this fucking question again, I'm going to say, refer to podcast numero cinco, something like 25 minutes in where I fucking address this question again. Can you tell it gets me heated, hot sauce, flaming? Okay. Okay. Having a coach just for peaking and prepping. Most people do not understand the process of peaking and preparing your CNS for a competition. There's multiple ways to do it. There's a linear progression where you do hypertrophy and volume overload till your body's fatigue and then drop that so that the fatigue lowers and your fitness level increases so that you're prepared for a meet. Conjugate world, you don't need to do that. You can be ready. Basically... At any time, it's like you're constantly taking Viagra and just ready to fuck. But that's another story. I don't even know if I'm going to get into conjugate versus linear periodization. I've just been talking about coaching for so long. So back to the point here. If you only hire a coach for peaking, yes, you are doing yourself a wonderful service of having someone who is more experienced than you help you prepare yourself for meet day. Also... If they're a good coach, they're not just going to, you know, get you through prep and then say, have fun. They're going to help you with your attempt choice, with what is a good opener and maybe second attempt. Some coaches don't give you all of your attempts. I have created this nice little decision tree where I'm like, okay, squat opener. If it was hard, then you go to this number. If it was easy, then you go to this number. If you fail, then you repeat. If number two is easy, then you go to this number. If you want my decision tree, you can DM me and I will gladly email it out because it's a useful tool and I believe sharing is caring and the more that I can do to help people in the powerlifting community, the better. Because every time I'm at a meet and someone sees that little tree, they're like, holy fucking shit, that's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, let me email it to you, bro. So why not share with the masses? But that's all fine and dandy, right? They help you through meet day and then you're like, yay, off season, I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but I'm going to do it on my own. There is a true and clear benefit to having an off season. In my mind, meat prep is for that, preparing for a meat. It is not for fixing your errors, for gaining strength, for, you know, making changes to your form. If you're peaking for 8 weeks, you know, you have 1 week of deload, the week of the meat. That really is like 6 weeks you really can't make meaningful changes in six weeks in you know, form at heavy, heavy numbers, maybe at low percentages, but not when you're, you know, in a max situation. So if you don't take a long enough period of time off in between competitions, it's going to show when you're on the platform next and your numbers don't thoroughly improve and your errors keep continuing to show. So what can a coach do that's beneficial for you in an off season? Well, typically a coach has more knowledge than you do or is able to see outside of yourself with your own lifting because like for myself even though I'm an experienced lifter and I know a lot and I coach other athletes I don't want to program for myself because I'm biased because I think I'm fucking awesome and I can never do anything wrong but then I would also never make progress so that's why I have someone that's going to push me and I know that I'm accountable to that I know I want to be better for so Lonus I love you bro But having an off-season and having a coach for the off-season can help you really, when you have errors, they usually, fatal flaws, I say, usually come out 85% and up. Some people, more elite athletes, like 92% and up. But those are the technical elements that you want to fix and change. And a good coach will make you do the shitty shit that you don't want to do that's going to make you improve on those you know, fatal flaws and technique errors. For example, within myself, I used to have a problem engaging my lats and squats. So, you know, doing pin squats, doing pause squats, doing safety square bar squats, doing front racked harness squats, the things that I would never program for myself because I hate them, I'm doing them. And guess what? I'm improving significantly. Uh, benching, I used to be ultra wide grip, max legal uh, index on the ring. And now I've moved my grip all the way into my is just inside of the ring. And because I used to flare my elbows too quickly off of my chest when I was anything above 92%. And it would make me fail my third attempt every time. And now I've put like 45 pounds on my bench. So it's pretty amazing. The things that I don't want to do, I'm forced to do and I'm improving because of it. Those are the kind of benefits that you see in having a coach for the off-season. I personally feel I would rather coach someone for the off-season and help them get better and improve their lifts than peak someone, to be honest, because that's where I really feel like I'm doing my best work. Okay, I think this is the last thing I'm going to say about coaching. One more determining factor of having a coach is price range. Uh, Coaching can be expensive. I'm expensive. I charge right now, my price is $150 a month, but I'm fucking worth it because I give my athletes like two plus hours of my time every month. So, or more, I would say a lot of them more. I'm available 24 seven via text, unless I'm sleeping or treating for physical therapy. I give my lifters video feedback that are anywhere from three minutes to 25 minutes of explanations and demonstrations of things that they need to do to correct. And, you know, I make on the spot changes to their program, whether they need it, they each get individualized programming for what they need. And that's the price that I've set for the value of my time and expertise. Some coaches are a lot cheaper and it might be of the, you know, the anecdote of you get what you pay for, but also your budget might dictate what kind of coach you can get. And you know what? That's fucking okay. Like if you don't hire the best person in the world, that doesn't mean you're going to be the shittiest power lifter ever, but also like know the value of the person that you're paying. Um, I've never fired or dropped or... I don't know what the correct terminology is, an athlete, but there are few that I might in the new year. Be scared, veggie babies. Just kidding. Well, not really. You might be. Um, okay. There's a couple clients where, quite honestly, I feel like I have a waiting list right now that's about seven people long of people that are very excited and want to work with me, and I feel like I could work well with them. I love what I do, and I love helping people, but I have a few clients who kind of really don't give a fuck, and that hurts my feelings because I give a fuck. And if people are frequently missing their check-ins or not giving me the appropriate videos or feedback that I need to best help them, then I can't do my job. Just like you would fire a coach who isn't doing their job, these athletes are not allowing me to do mine. So I'm going to be, you know, evaluating who I have as an athlete. And, you know, if there's some people who just, I feel like maybe they would be better on a template because they don't really care about checking in. So... I might just do that and then, you know, take someone on my roster who's really excited about having a coach that has the kind of availability and feedback that I have and give. Okay. I think I have talked well enough about coaching and coaching styles and I hope... I'll still answer the Q&A at the end, but I hope I gave kind of a wide array and variety of the different kind of coaching styles that are out there and some of the things that you need to buy or beware and make a fucking list of questions, like make or make a wish list of these are the things that I would want in my coach, you know, in person versus online versus do they do this? Do they do that? Blah, blah, blah. And then turn the wish list into questions. And then when you interview a potential coach, ask them questions. How do you find coaches? Well, find your friends at the gym and ask them Do you have a fucking coach? Do you have a fucking coach? Post a question box on Instagram and say, Do you guys have coaches and who are they? And then, you know, kind of get a pool and just find some recommendations. The internet is amazing way to connect with people and to find new people. And just because the coach is not physically there in person with you doesn't mean it can't be an amazing relationship. So I want to get into the difference. I'm going to be kind of general with uh, linear versus conjugate and just explaining them both with an overview because... I think a lot of my clients who I even coach don't really understand what conjugate training is, and here we go. So periodization or linear periodization is basically where you divide training into distinct training blocks, and each training block focuses on some kind of specific predetermined athletic quality. That quality can be for strength, that can be for hypertrophy, it can be for aerobic capacity, it could be for whatever the fuck those linear people do. But basically, they are segments that kind of go in a circular, cyclical circular, cycle, circular what the fuck ever, a linear fashion where it goes from a start to beginning and end, where you kind of do an interval where you peak your strength. So for example, and the most basic example of a linear periodization would be, you know, like a a 5-3-1 where you're doing Sets of five and then sets of three and then going to a one. And you're increasing in intensity, which would be weight and decreasing the volume or frequency to increase you know, your overall strength and doing that in a linear fashion and a cyclical fashion. I don't know why I can't say that word today, but whatever. In a cycle where you repeat it over and over again with the goal of increasing the maximal weight each time. That is linear periodization. In a nutshell, there's many forms of periodization. Um, For example, when I am peaking my athletes, I do it in a two-block periodization. So I do eight weeks. I do... Uh, A four week block and another four week block. My first block is a volume and conditioning block where they're doing high volume, low weight. So low intensity, high frequency. And then my second block is a hypertrophy and strength phase where I'm doing lower frequency, lower volume, and higher intensity, higher weight to try to peak their central nervous system. But I follow them very closely to make sure that their level of fatigue stays just under the threshold of where it needs to be so that it doesn't affect their fitness or their strength. I do that because most, even though I don't like linear training at all, most athletes who I'm peaking for meets don't have a ton of experience in lifting or powerlifting or competing. So they don't necessarily know how to gauge their fatigue level. So if I peaked them in a conjugate fashion, they would be less inclined to be able to tell me how they're truly feeling, nor would they maybe even know how they're truly feeling as far as you know, fatigue and things like that go. And it's worked out really well. So that's kind of like all I'm gonna talk about linear. I think it's really boring. So me personally, I can eat the same thing every day for like a year and not give a fuck. But I can't go into the gym and do the same workout twice in a week or I would probably die. I think I did Lane Norton's uh, SBD. Well, it's like his PH3, whatever the fuck, uh, peaking program. And I got fucking hurt on it because it's way too much volume. And uh, also I was training at a commercial gym, so it's kind of my fault with shitty equipment. But it just like... It just it was so boring. I just hated it. It was like every four weeks you did SBD and then you moved on and I don't know. It's it's kind of a personal preference. Some people love that predictable schedule where even if they take like, you know, a week or two off, they can just go back and they know exactly where their five rep max was and now they're at eighty eight percent, blah, blah, blah. And it's like this very calculated equation where it's just a formula that you plug and chug and you go in each time. Conjugate is like the wild child, like the fucking partier in college that you don't know what the fuck is coming up next. So, basically the the like principles and dynamic of weightlifting and strength is in general, like agility, speed, how explosive you are and your strength. Conjugate does instead of doing those in linear blocks or doing those in you know one singular fashion at a time it's a combination of those at all motherfucking times right that's why with conjugate you don't need to peak because there is no linear progression that you know crescendos into a max it is you are maxing all the motherfucking time. And you're kind of also doing the high intensity dynamic work all the motherfucking time. For some people, so conjugate historically has had some pushback, fight back, or negative publicity that it is uh, geared toward lifters who are on performance enhancing drugs. With that being said, being a lifter who does cycle on and off performance enhancing drugs. I mildly agree because you are doing maximal effort training two days a week when you follow true and tried conjugate, that you, it's definitely hard to recover, but you're only training four days a week. So if you prioritize your rest, your nutrition and your recovery methods into your training, I don't see why it would be an issue. And also like some like uh, old school West Side Barbell people are like, fucking fight through that injury. I don't give a shit if your kneecap is torn off, you're going to do your max effort lower. And I'm over here like, listen to your body. If your shit feels fucked up, take a goddamn day off so you don't hurt yourself. So that's kind of like, you know, interpersonal preference and also coaching styles of how hard people push you or not push you. But conjugate in general uses accommodating resistance, which is bands and chains. Um, Also specialty bars, which are all the other bars besides a straight bar to enhance those dimensions of strength, the explosiveness, the speed, the agility, the dynamics, and the power output. With four days of training, you have maximum effort and dynamic effort. In a maximum effort day, you are working at or above 85% all the way up to 100% or above. In a dynamic effort training day, you are working anywhere below that, typically for volume. And you have one of those days for each upper and lower body. So you have maximal effort upper, maximal effort lower, dynamic effort upper, dynamic effort lower. Those can be performed in any order, but you are supposed to have a minimum of 72 hours in between similar body types. So you should not do your dynamic effort upper body and your maximal effort upper body back to back. Conjugate or any training style in general does not need to be on a seven calendar day schedule. You can, you know, just Perform your training one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off, or, you know, two, one, whatever it may be. You don't have to follow the, you know, the the typical calendar schedule. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But like I have athletes I program only three days a week for because that's what fits their schedule. They train every other day. And if that's what they want, that's what I give them. However, I do not give anyone more than four days per week because I do... Uh, program conjugate-esque. And I believe that anything more would be overtraining for the amount of volume that I give. But accommodating resistance is all the weird shit you see on the internet. Bands and chains. And what does accommodating resistance means? It is adding a dynamic element of weight to the bar that is not just a straight adding pounds. So Bands and chains both give progressive resistance, meaning the more you pull on them for bands, the tighter and heavier they get. And chains, the more you lift off of the ground, the more chain weight you are receiving. So you can employ these where they give you assistance in the hardest part of the squat or the bench or the deadlift, or they give you resistance in the hardest part of those lifts. So it's a really great way to break through a plateau. Now, if you're a lifter that trains at LA Fitness and you throw bands on your bench, you are not training conjugate. That is, I'm using bands on the bench. (laughs) Uh, It could be conjugate-esque, but I know there's kind of like uh, a little bit of a since the that West Side documentary came out, West Side vs. the World, that people are like, oh my God, I like Train conjugate now because I have bands. And it's like, it's a little bit more than that. I'm not shitting on your parade, but uh, conjugate tried and true if... So, like, I hate programming for people who train at commercial gyms. I'll just be honest, all y'all make that shit hard because you don't really get the benefit of utilizing the specialty bars that put your body and the weight in different positions that make it more difficult for you to perform the movements, which then in turn enhances and strengthens you as a lifter because you're utilizing and incorporating more muscle recruitment to perform the same movement. And the more times you recruit more muscle fibers to perform that movement, the more muscle fibers that are going to recruit each time you perform that movement. I hope that all made sense. But, so, conjugate also uses the principle of... um, total volume or repetition, which would be ramps. I know a lot of other programs incorporate ramps as well, but um, sometimes it's after a large uh, pre, where you're doing a pre-fatigued ramp. So I program conjugate-esque style. I believe, so true and tried conjugate west side method is on your maximal effort days, you perform a one rep max, period. So it's a cambered bar box squat, one rep max with doubled light bands, go. Okay? And then that's it. So what I have found from doing straight up conjugate um, is that it's just not enough volume in the upper echelon percentage range of training to make meaningful changes. So sometimes I like to bring some of my lifters to a max. Um, Sometimes I have people working in the 80 to 90% range on their maximal effort days, but I'm typically doing it for volume. Or if I have someone work up to a max, I have them do pre-fatigue volume first or post-fatiguing volume after they've hit that max. Additionally, I do not believe that conjugate is for everyone. If you are afraid, if you're brand new to lifting, you know, that person, like I said in the beginning, that's fucking Googling a tricep pushdown, conjugate's not for you. It is, unless you have a direct mentor that's in there with you one-on-one, I've like almost killed some bystanders flipping a bar over by removing too many chains on one side at one time at Gold's Gym in Long Beach. Sorry. Host Jesus, I did not mean to kill you, but um, it's just it's not for a novice lifter. It's also not for someone who is like so new in their newbie gains that they are afraid of achieving a max because they're so afraid of the numbers. Although you know, if you're doing a banded squat and it's adding a hundred pounds of band tension and you only have 85 pounds on the bar and you don't realize that at the top you're really squatting 185 pounds, that could be good because you don't actually see the plates on the bar. But in general, it's very difficult when someone is still at the point where they're afraid of achieving new weight ranges to perform those activities. So that's why I feel like a more modified conjugate approach is better for the masses. I still do feel that, you know, tried and true conjugate and West side principles apply to some people or to geared lifting because of the amount of effort that you have to exude to get up to those higher numbers, you know, doing that amount of volume isn't good. And also for people, especially men, uh, who are very strong can't handle, you know, high volume training because of what it fucking does to your joints. Like that's just science, not bro science for y'all. So with a little personal story, again, I feel like personal anecdotes are one of the best forms of education because it's relatable. Um, I was doing straight conjugate and for like two and a half years and I really, really progressed in my squats and my bench, but not in my deadlift because Real Conjugate only has heavy deadlifting like once every two or three weeks. Um, And that's it. Not really like accessory or secondary deadlifting. Um, when I started training with Lonus, I was doing deadlifting almost every single lower body day. And... My deadlift number shot the fuck up because I was increasing the volume of my training with deadlifts. And also in general, just having more volume can help people. So that's all I'm going to talk about conjugate. Um, Oh, one more delineation um, is like in linear training, you pretty much focus on specific lifts like overhead press, squat, front squat bench, deadlift, and you do them in cycles. Um, in conjugate training, you can do micro cycles. So for example, on a speed bench, which would be a dynamic day where you're benching for speed, you can make it a progressive weekly set. Uh, for example, I do them over three or four week periods depending on what my lifter needs. And I might increase the weight by five pounds each week or 10 pounds each week. Or keep chains for three weeks and then switch to bands for three weeks, depending on what they need. So it's like a small linear cycle within the conjugate program, if that's not confusing, right? And also with a linear program, you usually keep accessories more static where you train similar accessories on each day of your lifting day. And... Conjugate, it's just split into upper and lower. So you don't really have like a push pull day or just a hamstring focused day. You're doing your entire lower body. And then you have that 72 hour refractory period until you do your lower body again. So you can achieve all of the muscle groups. And then that way, also, you're not. Super fucking sore because you didn't just do a chest and back workout and your toast and your chest and back. You did a little bit of posterior delt, you did a little bit of chest, a little bit of tricep, a little bit of ab, a little bit of lats. And then, you know, the next upper body day, you kind of focus on similar but different muscle groups in the same region of your body, if that makes sense. If you can't tell that I fucking love conjugate, then. I don't know what else to say because I do. I just like the dynamics of it, the variability of it, and um, the curiosity it keeps me with my training. Even though I've been lifting for like 14 years, I still am intrigued and excited to go in the gym every day that I do Conjugate. So a historical downfall of Conjugate First Linear training is that You don't ever really know where your maxes are because you're using, you never do straight weight with a straight bar. You might do a one rep max with a safety squat bar, but that doesn't translate to your, you know, regular squat bar squat or a one rep max with a bench, but 80 pounds of chain. That still doesn't translate the same because it's not really 80 pounds throughout the entirety of the lift. So when I was doing real conjugate, like until it was meat day, I didn't fucking know where my one rep max was. And I do that a little bit li- differently for my lifters, um, in linear cycles or micro cycles. The point of it is to, you know, crescendo up to a max, hopefully a new one rep max after whatever amount of weeks you have planned for that cycle or that block phase. And, my lifters a lot of time, most of them are on the newer end or I I consider a newer lifter like anything two years or under and powerlifting specifically. And so they're I'm like programming their numbers, you know, based off of where their maxes are. And I'm like, holy shit, this is supposed to be their max day, and they're fucking smoking these numbers. So then I'm like, okay, it's time to max out. So I will frequently have my clients max out in different intervals depending on what I see from them because I'm watching them so closely. Uh, but if you're doing like straight conjugate, typically you kind of don't know like exactly where your max is. For example, my client, Marisela, just send me a text message right now. She just benched 145 pounds. She, her previous one at max about four months ago, I think, was 130. She might have squeaked out 135, but I was like noticing that her bench was increasing. She like did a variation of something with a plate, and I'm like, fuck, you're getting strong. So she maxed out. She got 145, and that's amazing. So congratulations, Maricela. You better listen to this podcast because I'm shouting you the fuck out. Ooh, real quick, before I get to questions, I almost forgot one of the most important things about dynamic uh, progressive resistance with bands and chains. Working on, so if you're a lifter and you've never used bands or chains, the first time you put it on, you're gonna be like, what the fuck is going on? Well, rather your central nervous system is. So uh, you have to recruit more muscle groups, more stabilizers, more muscles in general to perform the same movement because you've now changed it from pretty linear and stable to dynamic and variable. So like I said kind of earlier about you're recruiting additional muscle fibers to perform the same movement will over time recruit additional muscle fibers to perform the same movement without the addition of the dynamics, um, the bands and the chains and the bars and stuff like that. So that's one of the amazing things right now. My training partner is Michelle Kim shout out, miss Michelle. Um, she has never trained anything but linear and we've been training together now for about four weeks. And honestly, her strength has already increased. It's, Slightly like newbie gains, anytime you change a program, change a coach, change a training style, you're going to get a bump in newbie gains. So don't let that be the reason you fire your coach. You're like six weeks in and now your progress has stopped. Well, when you're like an elite athlete, every motherfucking kilo you get is a celebra- like celebratory event. So get that out of your fucking head that you should just be progressing forever and ever because... That doesn't happen. Hate to break that to y'all, but the addition of dynamics in your training and utilizing different bars that put different stresses on your body can definitely, over time, enhance your performance and your strength. So that's obviously one of the benefits of using bands and chains. So even if you want to call yourself a quasi-conjugate lifter and you know buy some bands and use them at La Shitness you know, it will benefit you in the long run. When I have a lifter that trains at a commercial gym, I'm like, please just get a set of motherfucking bands. Since you train at the shittiest fucking gym in the United States, the least thing you can do is invest in a set of bands. And then when they do, it benefits them greatly because they can add dynamics to a static linear movement. So now we gon' get into the questions. Coaches that talk about muscle confusion, laughing face, laughing face, laughing face. I think Steffi Cohen just did a pretty funny post about muscle confusion where she was like doing some weird shit. Um, This kind of plays into like specificity versus accommodation and stuff like that. Specificity is like training specific movements and specific muscles for that movement. And accommodation is your body getting used to training those specific movements and specific muscles for a specific movement. This is my personal theory and basis on that. I feel like muscle confusion is just like fucking stupid. Like, oh, let's do barbell squats, but on a Bosu bar and blah, blah, blah. I feel like conjugate in and of itself employs muscle confusion. And what I mean by that is that you're not going to get accommodation. Accommodation is your body just gets better at performing the same movement over time. For example, if your only accessory was tricep rope extensions, and you did tricep rope extensions every single time you did upper body day, you would be able to progress probably at a predictable linear rate for a given amount of time over time because your body just gets better at doing that movement. Well, if you threw in overhead double, you know, um, dumbbell overhead extensions, your triceps would probably be sore the next day because it's a different movement working the same muscles but put in a different position. So, conjugate, you're still performing the same movement. You're still squatting, you're still benching, you're still deadlifting, but you're changing the dynamics of that movement with different bars, different resistance, and different settings like deficit, you know, um, block, reverse band, banded down, all of that stuff. So you're still getting the benefit of performing the same movement, but you're changing the dynamics of it so your body doesn't get used to just regular linear squatting. Accommodation is almost the basis of linear progression because you want your body just to get better at performing the same movement. I don't think that there's anything wrong with just squatting to squat, benching to bench, deadlifting to deadlifting. But as far as your accessories go, if you don't pick variable accessories, your body just gets static and just gets used to doing the same thing. So if you throw in something different, you feel like really, really sore, it's because you're recruiting new and different muscle fibers and you're putting your body in a different position to use those muscles. As far as muscle confusion goes, like you can find some crazy motherfucking shit on the internet, you guys. For example, in my linear programming for peaking, I have a day where you do a deadlift variation. You can do snatch grip deadlift, you can do pause at the knee deadlift, or you can do straight leg deadlift. My client, Justin, found a video on YouTube where some dude, because he didn't understand what those were, where some dude was doing a paused, snatch grip, straight leg deadlift. All as one. So that's what he did. And I could not stop fucking laughing but the shit's out there, you guys. Muscle confusion, whatever the fuck. I mean, I think that there's a limit on, you know, doing some weird shit and weird accessories and weird exercises. But also, I feel like there's a limit on your body getting used to doing the same thing. Like my husband, for example, he is constantly changing the tempo, the variation, and you know, the mechanics of a movement in order to help himself grow and feel sore because he's so big that he really needs to stimulate his muscles in a super overloading fashion in order to achieve growth. So I think there's like a moderated version of where that's acceptable. And then there's like a crazy version of where you're like standing on a Bosu with one foot and doing a tricep extension with the other leg and like chewing bubble gum and doing a yo-yo with your other arm. Like, come the fuck on. Okay. Okay. Next question. How do you decide what method to use for your athletes? For me, uh, what gym setting they're in dictates a lot of what they're doing. Like I said, when you're in a commercial gym, the best thing I can do is get you to use bands. And it's, it's still not linear because I don't do anything like just in straight linear cycles because that's not the way I prefer to program. I don't believe it achieves the best results. I believe that undulating periodization, which is basically the opposite of linear training or conjugate, um it is conjugate rather um, is the best way to train athletes. So I do a modified conjugate style for everyone but how often or how high I take them in their own ability to like go to a max is very athlete specific. Uh, a lot of athletes I have to program specific numbers because they're afraid of doing those numbers on their own or, I have other athletes who always overshoot the numbers I want them to do, so I have to really curtail exactly what numbers they're lifting. Benefits of conjugate, is it better for linear or everyone? I kind of, I definitely went into that. I did my first powerlifting comp and I thought of you and your badass self to inspire me. Well, thank you. That's fucking sweet. Does certain type of training style work better for one person and not another? So yes and no, I absolutely believe that um, people who cannot truly push themselves are not meant for conjugate. And also, if you train solo like all the fucking time, it's kind of hard to do straight up conjugate one rep max bullshit because you need a spotter and stuff like that. So unless you're in a gym environment that has a dynamic where you can, you know, reach people, if you're just in your garage and you have chains of bands and a full conjugate setup, it's going to be more difficult to achieve than if you had somebody else. This has nothing to do with this, but I just got my South Bay Strength Company fanny pack and it's super motherfucking dope. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. We have South Bay Strength Co. fanny packs on our website. We had like socks and shirts and straps and wraps and sleeves. And I finally did the daunting task of adding it all to our website. If you didn't know, I, Dr. Ashley Contorno, I am HR. I am IT. I am the janitor. I am the cleaner. I am the maintenance and repair I am the face and name and all the little tasks of South Bay Strength go. And sometimes my graphic design team, aka myself, gets a little tired of doing all those things. So, I just uploaded them all on the website. They're for sale. Techniques for coaching a person who is new to powerlifting. So, sometimes like I wish I don't take on absolute new lifters. Because, not because I don't like them, but because in the online virtual setting, it is very, very hard to instruct someone who is absolutely new to powerlifting to understand and employ the techniques that are going to get you white lights. You can be strong as fuck, but guess what? Your gym PRs don't mean shit if you're trying to compete. So, I usually uh, keep my absolute newbies to powerlifting or people that don't have a good handle on their form in general to people who are local so I can do one-on-ones with them. And for my clients specifically, I charge a reduced rate for one-on-ones so that way they are more inclined to do them. Um, because I'm, you know, asking them to spend money and invest on themselves. But if I can do those three one-on-ones to teach someone how to squat, bench, and deadlift with correct technique and performance, then they're golden. But to do it all virtually is very, very hard. I've done it, but something that can be done in one hour sometimes can take 10 weeks to convey and understand online. So that's the hurdle there. My best friend needs fresh new exercises for skipping chores and going to the gym. Well, that's funny, asking for a friend, right? You can just say that you have to do chores at the gym. I'm going to bring my laundry and fold it on the deadlift platform. (laughs) Bro splits, full body and for new lifters. Power lifting, upper, lower, intermediate to advanced. Uh, why don't you get on my waiting list to be my client? And I will give you all of those splits because I'm not going to give you programming via this podcast. Never had a coach. What training is best to burn fat and keep up numbers? Honestly, the more muscle, lean muscle mass, and muscle tissue that you have, muscle mass and muscle tissue takes more calories and energy to sustain than fat does. So strength training is an excellent way to help burn fat and gain more lean muscle to give you that lean look. Uh, my friend and client, China. um, China Wei on Instagram, she has documented her weight loss journey extensively. Uh, Willie uh, Will Never Settle on Instagram. He has extensively, again, documented his weight loss journey. They both are doing strength training and powerlifting, and they're losing weight and they don't look like me. They don't look super fucking muscular and buff. They are looking lean and trim and achieving their weight loss goals by lifting heavy as shit. I just want to say I have the best coach ever and I'm beyond grateful and happy. That is Ruby. She's one of my clients and you are the best and I fucking love you. She blows my mind all the time. She's a very introverted individual and she expresses her emotions so delicately that she's made me cry like four times and I love you. Major errors that people do implementing either style. So with conjugate, I feel like One of the biggest errors, this is more of like a personal annoyance, is people say, oh, my God, I just lifted 495 pounds. It's like, no, you didn't. That was 300 pounds plus 195 pounds of bands resistance. So it's not a true, you always express the lift as such. X amount of bar weight plus X amount of resistance. So maybe it's 100 pounds bar weight plus 80 pounds of chain. It's not 180 pounds because the lift is progressive and dynamic and you do not receive that full 80 pounds throughout the entirety of the lift, nor do you receive it like all at the top anyways, because one or two links should be on the ground. So maybe it's like 78 pounds total at the top, but, uh, and linear progression, I feel like people just get too, well, yeah, they get too rooted in the regime enough to take a step back and they get upset if maybe like this cycle, they didn't hit, you know, five pounds more on their one rep max as they were supposed to as compared to the last time where it's very, very easy to get hard on yourself because it's so absolutely numbers focused And then another fatal flaw of conjugate is like you can really hurt yourself with some of these variations if you don't fully understand how to set them up, Um, myself included. And I've also seen some other people like literally have some fucked up situations where you almost really hurt yourself or you're just performing a lift totally wrong and you kind of look like an idiot. But that kind of goes into the learning of, there's a learning curve to conjugate. Critical equipment for a home gym for a Lifter who wants to run Conjugate in the future. So as opposed to, well, every band ever, um, Elite FTS, in my opinion, has the best quality of bands and um, consistency of bands that I have found. I've tried to get my own and every time I order them, they just uh, come out too waxy and I, cause I wanted to order some in bulk, but it just didn't work. Um, if you sign up for Elite FTS email, they frequently have sales where they're like 30 to 40 or even 50% off. And I will fucking stock up on $100 worth. And just because bands don't last a long time, they snap, they tear, they break. And as soon as they start to have a small tear, you want to get rid of it because you don't want it to snap while you're using it. Um, a full set of bands, up to 120 pounds of chains if you're, you know, in the 1,000 pound club. I would say 80 pounds of chain if you're sub 1,000 pound club. Um, I would recommend a transformer bar because that can do the job of like three different bars in one as opposed to buying a safety squat bar, a cambered bar, you know, all those individual bars. That bar can kind of do all of those jobs. A uh, buffalo bar bar a deadlift platform or something where you can attach bands to, um, a, a full rack that has sling safeties and a in-rack mono lift attachment and uh, variable boxes and bench blocks. And then I think you'd be set. Why do you prefer the conjugate method to others? Conjugate over every fucking thing. I think I expressed why I love it so much. Conjugate versus raw versus equipped and linear for raw versus equipped. Um, I think historically, conjugate is more preferred and also more popular for equipped lifters. And equipped lifters, again, is those people who wear the weird fireman's suits and shit for lifting. Honestly, in 2019, almost 2020, Equipped uh, lifting is very much a dying breed. Uh, back in the 90s and early 2000, equipped lifting was everything. It was televised. It still is televised, but it uh, was a way larger sector of powerlifting. And today, a lot of powerlifters have no idea what that is because 50 to 60% of any local meet you go to is new people into the sport, which I think is amazing. Um, the one benefit of equipped lifting, you know, using different types of lifting gear is that it does help save your joints and your, you know, natural ligaments and, you know, prone to injuries over longevity in the sport. But I would say the longevity in the sport today is not the same as what it was before. People lose interest after maybe two years as opposed to, you know, 10 plus years. But the longer you're in the sport, the better you are. Other than hitting PRs, over form, improving, how do you know you have a good coach? Ooh, that is a great question. So a lot of people do quantify their... um, greatness or grade of their coach based on how much they're improving in their PR versus how much better their technique is. I think this is personally what you value and also what your performance goals are. If you're not planning on competing in the sport then you kind of don't care as much about your form and technique as you would as if you're trying to hit those white lights. Not that now for me, I think form over everything. Um, I have a lifter right now that I've taken her off back squatting for almost four weeks. It's probably going to be about 10 um, before we go back to it because we're really trying to improve. We're starting her form for her squat all over again. Um, she's hit PRs with me in squatting since we've started, but I'd rather her hit a form PR right now than a you know platform number PR because you can only enhance your strength so much before if your technique doesn't match, the gap is going to be one of a few things. It's going to be an injury. It's going to be a hideous looking lift that is laughable and on a gym meme website, or it's going to be a lift that maybe you'll get, but it's not going to be white lights. So for me personally, form over everything, but also I feel like what does that person value? Because there are those people that really only care about the numbers. And if they don't keep seeing their numbers increasing, they get disinterested. And maybe those are the people where, you know, powerlifting or that kind of sport is not for them. Which one is better for the off season versus meat prep? Um, Like I said, I personally like a linear meat prep because I feel like I can better gauge a lifter's fatigue and tolerance. Um, But overall, as an entity, I prefer conjugate style of training and lifting. Are you taking on new clients online or coaching anytime soon? I do have a waiting list. Um, in the new year, I'm reevaluating my physical therapy versus coaching situation, and I may be taking on more lifters and doing more coaching full-time. But right now, I have a waiting list. And if you're interested, DM me, and I will put you on it. What is the best way to figure out what coaching style works for you? So the cheap way is to find an online template and do both. Although there really isn't a template for conjugate it is principles that you apply to your lifting. If you train at a commercial gym, then conjugate style is clearly not for you. Some kind of modified using dynamic bands and, you know, changing up your lifts with like tempos, spoto shit like that. Um, but if you have access to the bars and bands and chains that conjugate would, you know, need, then find the principles, employ them, and then use a template and then just see which one you like better. See which one your body you know, responds to more. Is it possible that you will research the Bulgarian method? I've looked into it. It ain't for me. Sorry, Elijah. I love you. And then I got one more question from my client, Lucas. He wanted to know about specificity and accommodation and which is better. And I think I touched on that in the beginning, but my thoughts are kind of this. Whatever your goal is or the sport that you're training for, you should be specifically training for that. Like, I don't really believe in overhead press, I believe that it is. Now, if you're Olympic lifting, you better be overhead pressing the shit out of everything. If you're power lifting, I don't personally see the need for it. I think that most people don't know how to perform an overhead press well enough with technique to add weight, to consistently make an improvement in their strength versus they would get hurt first because it's a complex, complicated movement that you need to understand technique for to not hurt yourself. Um, if you're a swimmer, deadlifting may not be beneficial for you. But if you're a power lifter, it is. So training your main movements will help with your main movements. Squatting is first the technique of squatting, benching for bench and deadlifting for deadlifting. Your accessories should be those to enhance your strength of your main movements. For example, if you are my client, you know this, I program 80% posterior chain accessories. That would be the backside of your body. 20% front-facing accessories because what makes you the strongest in powerlifting? Your posterior chain, your back, your butt, your hamstrings. Everything else is secondary. We are a front-facing upper body society. If you go to a regular commercial fucking gym, 80% of the equipment is for your upper body and your front because that's what people care about. They all fucking skip leg day. But what's going to get you strong is the exact opposite. But with that being said, specificity in those is that, yes, you need triceps, but I'm not going to have you do a tricep rope extension for four weeks in a row. I'm going to trade, you know, make that dynamic with overhead dumbbell tricep extensions, tricep kicks backs, rolling tricep extensions, D handle, V handle, rope, all of those things. Does that make sense? So having, um, you know, the bingo basket of accessories that may be for the same muscle group, but different movements is beneficial, but keeping the main staple of performing the main movement, the squat bench and deadlift is paramount. Changing the bar can change the dynamics, but you're still doing that specific movement. That's my Dr. Ashley take on that. And that brings us to the end of probably my longest, windiest, wordiest podcast to date. I blame it on the one glass of wine I have had. What I would appreciate from you guys is not only rating my podcast, because I've got a couple of ratings and they're awesome. But it's uh, messaging me, emailing me, what the fuck ever. Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Please let me know what you want to hear from me next. I would totally appreciate that. It doesn't even have to be about lifting like I did that you know, podcast on eating disorders. It can be something totally different. It can be about selling yourself out on Instagram because I could talk about that for days. So I'm not trying to call anyone out and I wasn't, but There's some shitty motherfucking coaches out there that will just take your money and not care. And there's some other people who have a moral code who care more about you performing better in the sport than they do about the money that you're paying them. Find that person and have them help you meet your goals together. And that is all I have to say, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening as always. Bye-bye.